Well, good evening. Yes, a very, very warm welcome to all of you and to those who are watching in Central Abbotsford. I'd like to extend a warm welcome to you and those watching online as well. It is a delight that we have the opportunity to study the Word of the Lord together. So you will need a Bible. And if you have one in your hand or you're using your electronic device, you'll want to go to Colossians chapter 2. And we'll work our way from verse 20 to chapter 3, verse 11. So Colossians chapter 2, verse 20 to chapter 3, verse 11. I'd like to pray one more time and invite the Spirit of God to guide us as we engage his word together. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we still our hearts before you this evening. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege you've given us to engage your word. We ask, Father, would you speak through your word to us this day? We pray, Father, that um, you would help us to, to really see the glorious nature of the gospel and that, Father, you would enable us and empower us, your people, to live accordingly. So we commend ourselves now to you, Father. I pray for myself, dear Lord. Help me to be clear as I handle these texts, and I pray for all those listening here today, be it here in person or via video or online, I pray, dear Father, would you speak to your church? Would you speak to your people ever so clearly today? Commend ourselves now to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want you to imagine that uh, you were going to adopt this handsome young man from his country because you were there as a missionary and you were visiting and you go to this slum area and you see all these kids who have no parents or their parents are drunkards or drug addicts or whatever and these kids are neglected. And so this handsome young child, this young boy just catches your eye and you see him running around and creating all sorts of havoc, but there's just something about him that draws you to this kid. Nothing that he's done is worth your time or your effort or your desire or your love. No, if anything, he's a liar, he's a thief, he's foul-mouthed, he's always fighting. There is malice and slander and anger in him. But when you look at this young man, oh my, you're, you're just drawn to him for whatever reason. So let's name this child. Let's say this young man was Freddy, okay? <laughs> so it is Freddy that you, you see running around and he's just mucking about and he's crazy. So you decide, you know what? I will adopt this kid. I'll bring this young man to Canada. I'll take him from his home country and give him a better life because where he's at right now, he's going to die. He's eating from a dumpster. He's busy fighting. He's going to start using drugs. And we know where this story ends. It's not going to be a great story. So you adopt this child. Now the adoption process for those who have been through it is not an easy process. So you hire a lawyer. You get a second mortgage to pay the lawyer and you're busy flying back and forth Canada to the home country and back to visit this young man. You're paying for his schooling and everything. You're preparing everything. Back home here, you're, you're making sure that his bedroom is all set up 
All the clothes are there, the bed is there, everything he would possibly need is there. And you have to prove to everybody that yes, you can take care of this young man when they move into your, to your place. And then you've talked to all the government agencies and everything, both here and from his home country. And then the day comes when you fly with your spouse and maybe your other kids, you're going to welcome this young man into your home. And at first your friend is all excited but doesn't know what he's entering into. So he comes, you hug, and he's smelling a little bit as he usually does. And then you, 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 you bring him to Canada. And you show him his room. And you show him the new, his new home. And you show him his passport. He is now Canadian. And then you and your spouse, you go to a, to a lawyer and you adjust your will. And now you add Freddie onto your will. He is now a son in your home. So while he's here now, and he's now going to MEI, is great, right? So he's going to school and, and all this. And now there are other people now, both here and in his home country, who begin to tell him, hey, dude. Now they are talking to Freddie. Hey, dude, you know what? You need to wake up early in the morning before dawn. And you need to be scrubbing the floors of this house. And you need to be washing the windows and wiping the walls down. And making sure everything is clean. Doing everybody's laundry. And not only that, you need to be skipping lunch. Because you know food is expensive in Canada. And the, and the inflation is really high. So you must make sure that you're not eating too much, Freddie. Sleep on the floor because you don't want to mess up the bed, okay? And showering, shower less frequently. Why? Because you don't want to waste water. And Freddie, we want you to do all these things. You must make sure you do all these things because if you don't do these things, you know what? You might not, you might be kicked out of this family. You might even lose your Canadian citizenship. You might even come back to your home country. So you know you have to do all these things. Now supposing... You learn that other people are telling Freddie that this is what it means to be Canadian. What would you say? You would be so upset because the advice that Freddie is receiving now is diminishing what you've done. You paid so much money not only to fly him from his home country here, but to pay for the lawyers and to make sure that everything is set up. And you went to the lawyer and you had a paper signed to add him to your will. He will forever be your son. There is nothing he will do to make sure that he's, so that he may leave or fall off or be out of the will. No, he will forever be a Canadian, right? So everything these people are saying is false. See, this is what Paul is dealing with when he's writing to the Colossians. Why? Because the Colossians were listening to some false teachers. These Colossians had become Christians. They, are, they have been transformed by the gospel. Changed. And then now these false teachers come and they begin to Tell the Colossians, you know what? In order for you to truly be a Christian, there are certain things you must engage in, certain activities that you must do. And if you don't do, then you're not truly a Christian. If you don't do, then you will lose your salvation. 
You must do these things. And what Paul is now fighting against is he's saying, you know what? All these things that you're being told that you need to do, they are undermining the gospel. They are diminishing the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. They're diminishing the supremacy of Christ. So the apostle Paul in our text today, Colossians 2 verse 20, all the way to 3.11, we will see Paul will begin to admonish his audience and he will tell them three things. Three things that I see. First, you will need to reflect. Reflect on what? Outward piety has no, has no eternal benefit. Secondly, he will ask them to realign now. So you're going to reflect and then you're going to realign yourself. Pursuing Christ has lasting benefit. So this outward piety, yeah, no lasting benefit. But pursuing Christ has a lasting benefit. And then finally, you have to refocus. How? Live according to your new reality. Live according to your new reality. So the three things, the three hooks, reflect, realign, refocus. So reflect again, outward piety has no eternal benefit. Second, we have to realign yourself. Pursuing Christ has lasting benefits. And then thirdly, you have to refocus, meaning live according to your new reality. So let's jump in. Point number one, reflect. Outward piety has no eternal benefit. Colossians 2, verse 20 to 23. Let's read. If with Christ you died, notice how he begins, because he'll begin the same way in chapter 3, verse 1. So, chapter 2, 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teaching. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now, you will notice in the first, in, in, in verse 20 of chapter two, if you died, if with Christ you died. So what is he talking about here? This is now conversion. So there are many things. Let's just do a little bit of theology, then we come back to, to the text. So a little bit of theology. There are many things that happen to someone when they become a Christian. Many things that happen concurrently. They happen at the same time. So when you hear the gospel, the gospel is being preached. As the gospel is being preached, there is regeneration that is happening. In other words, the Spirit of God now comes upon you and He awakens you. And your eyes are now open as you're hearing this gospel being preached. And this regeneration is, now you believe this gospel. In the, in the past, you weren't believing the gospel. You heard the message, but you walked away. You thought, oh, this is stupidity. Like, who would believe such, such nonsense? But now you're seated there and you're hearing the gospel, regeneration is happening, all of a sudden, the penny is dropping. All of a sudden, you're believing the gospel. Not only that, conversion is happening. So as regeneration is happening, there is faith now being built in you. And as faith is being built in you, you feel like, you know what? I need to repent. I need to repent. I recognize now that I'm a sinner. I need to repent. Not only that, 
Upon repenting, upon repenting, something else happens. You're justified by God. So when God looks at you, say, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive my sins. Cleanse me from my, all my unrighteousness. Christ, Christ's blood has now paid for you. God the Father looks at you and says, you are justified. It's as though you had never sinned. All your, all your wickedness and sin expunged. Your record is now clean before God. Not only that, now you're adopted into God's family. So now you become a son in God's family. Instantly, you now become a child of God. By the way, we are not all children of God. We may be created in his image and his likeness, but... The scriptures are clear. People who are children of God are people who have a relationship with God. So right there, upon this conversion and justification, you are adopted and you now become a member of God's family. And not only that, sanctification begins. Sanctification is a process of being made holy. All these things be happen Instantly, the moment someone becomes a Christian, the moment you become a Christian, all these things. Now, I've just given you a small list. There are more. There are like about 12 or 13 things. When we're talking about the order of salvation and how someone becomes a Christian. So when Paul is saying in chapter 2 verse 20, if with Christ you died, what he means is, man, with Christ, the former you is gone. You heard the gospel, regeneration happened, conversion happened, you're justified by God, you're adopted, now sanctification has begun in you. So if you died with Christ, in other words, the former you is dead, it's gone, it's no more, all your rebellion gone, the man-made justification, all these things that you used to do to try and make yourself look nice before God and yet all your works were filthy rags before him, yeah, they're all gone. Why? Because Christ has done it for you. It's all gone now. You're a new person, new life, a new set of values there. You're like this adopted Freddy in Canada. All life is gone. You used to be poor, but now you're rich. You're hungry, but you're well-fed. You are cold, but now you're warm. You are rejected, but now you're loved. You're here. But you know what the false teachers now began to say? <laughs> uh, dude, come. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. This is the Colossian heresy. And what was the Colossian heresy? Paul will tell us in this text that we've read. They were promoting self-made religion, asceticism. They were also promoting um, severity to the body. So what are these three things? So self-made religion. So this would be like if, for example, here at North, you were, we were... We were um, promoting self-made uh, religion, you would be going to confess to Mark Birch the nastiest of your sins. You would be required in front of our elders, our elders would be coming to your house and asking you what were your sins last week and you'd have to recount them verbatim. Why? Because we have to be accountable to each other. So now every nasty sin, not only that, you have to disclose intimate details about your marriage. How many times were you with your wife last week? How much money do you earn? How much do you give? Oh, because for you to be a good Christian, this, by the way, these things happen in churches. Not only that, you must attend 
every service the church runs. So you're here today, hey, guess what? You're here tomorrow and tomorrow night as well. For you to be a good Christian, you're there. Any church meeting, any church service, you're there. Your kids must attend a certain school and your parenting has to be a certain way and your spouse has to dress a certain way and so on and so on and the list goes on and on and on and on. Self-made religion. Not only that, there's a promotion of asceticism which basically is self-discipline and restraint. Now, asceticism can be the most insidious the most stealthy form of legalism that there is. It's very subtle and yet extremely harmful. Now, let me nuance it a little bit and say, not all asceticism is bad. Jesus himself will say, if anyone should come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So there is a self-denial in following Jesus. Paul himself will say how he has to buffet his body to make it his slave so that he may run this race well. This is 1 Corinthians 9. So there is a certain asceticism, there is a certain self-discipline, self-denial that you'd say, that we would say is good, but there is sinful asceticism. One that involves imposing man-made rules concerning the body and one's behavior as a means of enhancing one's relationship with God. So in other words, I'm doing all these nice things so that God can love me more. I'm giving all this money so that God can love me more. I'm serving, look at what the things I'm doing for God. So surely God should love me more because I'm doing all these things for him. How many of us do this? You have heard people who do this, right? I'm doing all these things for God so that he could love me more. And so that, oh, brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so can see how holy I am. Look at how I'm suffering for Jesus. Look at the things I'm doing. So I am, I am, I am holy. The severity to the body, for the ascetic, the body is a thing to be punished, denied, and even abused. The body is regarded as evil, and so to defeat this evil, you have to starve it of anything that might spark desire. So you starve it from anything that might spark desire. So you have to take all these steps to diminish the intake of food or drink so that, oh, so that we, we, we do not fall into temptation. So we have to do all these things because this is the good thing that Christians do. I'd even add some controversy. <laughs> Mark is not here, so he is a controversy. You know some of the things we do for Lent? Oh, I am going to give up Xbox for Lent. I'm going to give up coffee for Lent. And so we give up these things and then we kind of walk away feeling a little holy. You know, you're walking a little higher. I, I gave up coffee. I gave up Xbox. I gave up whatever it is for Lent for 40 days, excluding Sundays. that make us feel a little holy. And the people who don't give up anything, oh, you sinner, you. <laughs> you wicked, you. 
Paul will say that these things have an appearance of wisdom. Notice, they have an appearance of wisdom. They might even look very spiritual. You might say, oh, Brother Ezra. Oh, he's so spiritual. Brother Mark, my goodness. He gave up whatever. He is doing this and that and the other. He, He looks so spiritual. And yet, Paul will say, they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Why? Because when I am busy giving up Netflix, I'm busy giving up coffee or whatever it is I'm giving up, what am I doing? I'm now feeling proud that I'm holy than you. Pride is a sin, isn't it? So you're busy doing all these things that are supposed to make you feel religious and holy and closer to God, only you're feeding another beast here called pride and self-righteousness. At the same time, you're also acknowledging that the finished work of Christ was not enough to justify you. So you have to add on all these other things so that God could accept you more. This was the issue in the Colossian church. Is it an issue today? Uh, It is. It is. In many, in many ways. It is. So if they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh, so what are we to do? Because you and I know that the moment you become a Christian, you say yes to Jesus and you come to saving faith and you're trying to live your life. You're so excited. I remember when I became a Christian, I was so excited. I was like walking on cloud nine. I know Christ was peace in my heart. It was amazing. But then there was still sin there. There was still this lust and lying and pride and envy and jealousy. They were still there. I'm trying to fight it, but it's still there. And I find myself in the cesspool, as you do too. So the question is, if all these religious things have no value in stopping or addressing the indulgences of the flesh, then how do we deal with it? Great question. Thank you for asking. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Realign. So reflect. If you're dead with Christ, why are you still doing all these things? All these man-made things. Now the man-made things that he was talking about there was basically this. In the Jewish world, you had to do all these things in order to prove yourself to be holy. But as you are doing all these things and all these acts, you still would come and bring your sacrifice and continue lusting. You'd bring your sacrifice and continue maligning people and, 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 and doing all these wicked things. So All these righteous works were not addressing this issue. So it was moot. So here Paul is saying, all those righteous, because you become a Christian, why are you going back to do all those things? Don't do those things. You need to realign. Realign how? Pursuing Christ has lasting benefit. Lucas chapter 3 verse 1. If then, notice he began, if then in chapter 2 verse 20, 3 Verse one, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died 
and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life, notice how Christ is described there. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now, let's go back to Freddie who you just adopted. So Freddie's in Canada right now. Big eyes, everything. He's so excited. New bike, new room, everything. So, when Freddie is in your home, what are the things that he will now start doing and things that you'll encourage him to do? He'll begin to learn your family practices. He'll begin to learn how you eat dinner together. We pray together, then we have dinner. He'll begin to learn birthdays. He'll begin to learn anniversaries. What are important days for you? Holidays, how do we holiday? And our relatives, and how are they? And how do we relate with our neighbors? How do we behave in our home? He'll begin to learn all these things that are now part of his new family. And if he is truly grateful for what you have done for him, he will be all in. His mind will be totally taken, wanting to know everything there is to know about the family, everything there is to know about his new environment, everything that, is, that he needs to know about you and his new life. The old is gone. There's no more eating in garbage dumps. There's no more fighting for bread with the rats. None of that. This is all new. Here, Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ, meaning you're a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. So if you've been raised with Christ, now you're a new creation. You died to your sin, now you're raised with Christ. He will say, this new life, this new believer now. What Paul is saying, your responsibility and mine is now to seek after, to set our minds on things above. Now question, what are these things that are above? What are these things that I'm supposed to set my mind on? Well, everything there is to know about the Savior Jesus Christ. The one who saved you. The one who paid the price for your redemption. The one who left heaven. Came down to earth. Put aside his power as God. Veiled his, veiled his deity. Took on the form of a man. Lived his life righteously. So that his righteous life will be credited to you. This one. No Everything there is to know. Think of it this way. Now we're in the summertime. A lot of people are getting married. And so I'm doing a few weddings this summer. And it's always exciting to sit in front of a couple that is about to get married. Oh my word. Their whole world is circling their beloved. She's thinking about him. He's thinking about her constantly. They're always thinking about each other. Whether they are separated together, you just see them, oh my goodness, the love. It's amazing. And sometimes you look and you say, oh wow, she is so taken by him. Oh my, he is so taken by her. As Christians, when he is saying, when Paul is saying, 
set your minds on things that are above, this means you're so taken by your Savior for what he has done, everything there is to know about Christ and his redemptive work, everything there is to know about God and the grace that he extended you. The grace of God that, ex- that he extended you didn't deserve the life you have. Yet God out of his mercy and love extended this grace. So you now want to find out more about this God who's so gracious and kind and benevolent toward you. Not only that, everything there is to know that pleases and honors and glorifies this God. You want to know. You would want to know. So now you set your mind. This is a joyful, all-consuming, passionate, active, and not passive pursuit. Now you may say, hey, Ezra, (laughs) dude, I don't know if I have it in me. I don't know if I have that kind of pursuit you're talking about. We will get there in a minute. We will get there. The question is, why would we set our minds on Christ? Why is Paul asking us to do this? Because he will say in verse 3, your life is hidden with Christ. What does he mean it is hidden? I'll give you a picture. So my daughter, a couple of Christmases ago, my youngest daughter, her uncle and aunt wanted to buy her a big gift for Christmas. And so they were thinking, what can we buy? Oh, let's buy her a bike with training wheels. A nice girly bike for her with a little horn and everything. But then we're like, yeah, but we live in a townhouse. So where are we going to hide this thing? We don't really have a yard. They said, no, no, no. We will put it in our house and we will bring it over on Christmas Day. And then she will get her big gift on Christmas Day. But it will be hidden. So Myself, my wife, her siblings were saying, "Honey, you will get a gift and a half. And she will just be shaking with excitement. But she, the gift is hidden. She knows it's there, but it's hidden. Not forever hidden because there'll be a day when it will be revealed. Your life is hidden with Christ, meaning your new life, the life everlasting, life that will be joy upon joy upon joy upon joy, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain, no more nothing. That life hidden with Christ, not forever though. The promise of the gospel is yours. It's like a Christmas gift still. You know it's there. Maybe it's still under the tree, you can see it, but you don't know why you don't know quite what it is because Christmas Day hasn't come and you know unwrap it and now you'll see. But Paul will say, but when Christ, who is your life, and what he says there, who is your life, meaning it's because of this Jesus that you have life. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him. Oh wow. When he comes to make all things new. Oh, dear Christian, wow. This is why, this is why you set your mind. Because of the promises that await you, they will come one day. They will come one day. But the question still remains, Ezra, 
but I am, I, I still don't feel it. No worry, we are getting there. Refocus. Verse 5 to 11 of Colossians 3. So we've seen you reflect, you realign, now you refocus. Live according to your new reality. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On the account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you lived in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Jew and there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all, and in all. So now Fred is in your house. And he's getting to know all about your family. You've paid everything, you've adopted him, you've flown him, you've shown him, you've shown him his room and everything that all his toys, everything. You've now told him all, all the anniversaries and what is important to you as a family. You've shared your stories with him. But then remember where you took him from, right? Where did you get him from? The ghetto. He was a liar, a thief. He was full of malice and slander, hate, and all of it. Foul language was full of it. So, what will you say to Freddie? Hey, bud, look here, dude. Now you're here. There is a certain standard that we expect you to uphold. We expect you to live in a, in a particular way. This is not to say that you will lose your Canadian citizenship. This is not to say that we'll remove your name from the will. No, but now that you're a member of this family, we expect that you live in a particular way. Lead your life in a particular way. So this is basically what Paul is saying here. Where he's saying... Put to death, therefore. Why are you putting to death all these things? Because you have been raised with Christ. This is why you're putting to death all these things. So in light of our new reality, we died with Christ, meaning we are dead to the world. We are raised with Christ, meaning new life in him. Because of this, reality. We, because of this new world that we're in, we are now expected to live according to our new reality. So when Paul is saying here, put to death what is earthly in you, he gives this list. And the list is interesting. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, love, um, uh, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. In other words, he will say both greed and all these other sexual sins that are here, all of them now he will label them as idolatry. And idolatry basically is idolatry here is anything that you seek to give you only what God can give you. So when we are pursuing sexual relations that we shouldn't, 
when we are busy pursuing immoral things and having all this passion. The word passion there is lust. All these evil desires and coveting. Oh, I wish I had a big car like so-and-so. I wish I had a big house like this person. I wish I had a kid like that person. I wish I had holidays like this person. I wish I had, I wish I had. I wish I had. All of that? Idolatry. How? Because you think by having those things, you'll be happier. So expecting this thing to give you only that which God can give. So Paul will call this idolatry. On the account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. That's why he's saying, put them to death. Because the judgment of God is coming to judge those who practice and live this way. This is not how we live, is what he will say now. Some of you have probably watched National Geographic or you've probably watched YouTube videos. And when you're watching these YouTube videos, you might see, hey, you know, there's this circus and there's this lion there and there's the trainer is there. And the trainer has been training this lion ever since it was a cub. And then one day, for some odd reason, the lion will jump on its trainer and begin to maul the trainer. And the trainer will be totally hurt if not dead. And then all the other people, part of the circus or part of this performance thing, they'll be on the news with a mic in their face saying, you know what, I am so surprised this lion never did this before. Like it never did this before. I'm so surprised that it actually turned on the trainer. To which I'm thinking, this is a lion. (laughs) What do lions do? There is no, yes. There is no other animal that hunts a lion. A lion is the hunter. It's the apex predator. The lion hunts. This is what it does. You can try and tame it all you want, but there probably will be a day when something will just change and it will remember what it is. It's a lion. Elephants don't hunt lions. Giraffes don't hunt lions. Hippos don't know. The lion is the aggressor here. There's a story, true story, of a guy who had a a python. And he had a python at home as as a pet. So this thing was small and it began to grow and was feeding it little mice and whatever, feeding it like chicken and whatever as it's growing. And at night, he'd be in bed and it would slither beside him and they would cuddle together. It was amazing. So it's growing, it's growing. Then he has a buddy of his who decides to come and visit. So the buddy comes and visits and he sees this snake and the buddy's comfortable with snakes. You know, for me, <laughs> sorry. But the buddy was there. Visiting with his his friend with the snake and all that. And so they're busy chatting. So the snake owner tells his buddy, the visitor, hey, you know what? I really love this. Isn't it cute? You know, he doesn't make noise. He's so friendly. Look, he's smiling at me. Yeah, right. Smiling and all that. And even at night, he slithers beside me and we come and we lay together and he gets warm beside me because he's quite cold because the snake is cold-blooded. So he comes beside me and the guy said, the visitor said, he what? Like the snake comes into bed with you and lays beside you? The guy said, yeah, it's so much fun. He loves to cuddle. Then the visitor said, actually, dude, did you know that this python is actually sizing you up? 
Did you know this? Like when it's coming in bed with you, it's not coming so that you can cuddle. It's, it's measuring you. And when it feels like it's big enough to take you on your dinner, don't you see? You're like a turkey. You think Christmas is not coming. Christmas is coming. You're dead meat. See, this is what we do with sin. We pet it. We cuddle with it. We try and tame it like taming the lion. Thinking, oh, there is nothing will happen here. Little do you know that there will be a day when this snake or this lion will turn on you. This is why Paul will say, The old nature is not to be managed. The old nature is not to be renewed or reformed. It has to be put to death. The old nature has to be put to death. Believers are to eradicate. This means to remove, to eliminate, to annihilate, to stamp out any persisting marks of the old life with its values, its customs, and its practices. You gotta kick it all out. It has to die. Why? Why, you may say, because you have put off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of, its, um, of the image of its maker. This is why you died. So to the question, how, Ezra, how? How do I do this? How do I seek How do I set my mind on things that above Ezra? How do I put to death what is earthly when I kind of, I can't do without this thing? I'm addicted to it. How, How do I do this, Ezra? Answer, being prayerful and watchful. What do you pray for? The Holy Spirit. You see, left to your own devices, you will fail miserably all the time. But praise be to God, he has not left us. He gives us his spirit. So you pray, Lord, fill me with your spirit and give me the strength, the ability to seek after the things you desire for me to seek after. Without the spirit of God helping you, dear brother, dear sister, you cannot live this life. You can't. Without the Spirit of God. You cannot love God the way He deserves to be loved. You cannot seek God the way He desires to be, seek, to be sought after without the Spirit of God enabling you. You can't. You can't. So you pray, oh Lord, you pray like your life depends on it. Lord, 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 help me. Help me. Give me the love to have for you, give me the passion to have for you, help me seek. This ought to be a prayer that you should be praying even right now. Lord, help me, help me, die to the world and be focused on you, oh Lord. This is how, and this is the prayer that you and I ought to say every day. The passage ends. Verse 10 and 11, put on this new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its maker. 
Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all and in all. So what he's saying here is when he names all these people, the Greek, the Jew, the barbarian, the Scythian, the Greeks would be cultured people, you know, civilized people. The Jews would be this pious or religious people. The barbarians would be the uncivilized people. And the Scythians would be these savage, ruthless people. And Paul is saying the redemption that is found in Christ is not limited just to one group of people. It's for everybody. The civilized, the uncivilized, the the religious, the pious, and even, even the ruthless. Yeah, they can be transformed by the gospel of Jesus. And changed. Therefore, dear church, the question I'm asking, are you seeking the Lord who saved you? Have you set your mind on things above? Oh, may the Lord help you. May the Lord help me to set our minds on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Why? Because your life is hidden Oh, and that day is coming when Christ will make all things new. All your problems, all your heartache, all your misery, gone. That day is coming. Christmas is coming. Put to death the lions and the snakes that are in your life. Put them to death because your life is hidden with Christ. Let's pray. Father, commend ourselves now to you. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us as your people Put to death the deeds of the flesh. Help us, Lord, to to reflect and see all these pious things that we do that make us feel holy. Do nothing for the indulgence of the flesh. And you call us now to set our minds on you. Oh, Lord, help us to set our minds on you rightly. And as we set our minds on you, help us, Father, to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Pray, dear Lord, fill us with your spirit and give us the strength. I know some of those things are hard to let go. Oh, Lord, I pray, help us by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Amen.